Okay, we're uh, continuing. Uh, talked about, again, you know, all the big build-up to Christmas and all the big uh, time we uh, put together for uh, Christmas, and then poof, it's over. And uh, we'd said before Christmas that uh, this is the season in the church calendar after Christmas now where uh, on the church calendar discussions about the incarnation, Jesus is here, so what, <laughs> you know. Um, and especially those years of, if you will, of silence where we don't have a lot of record about him, information. But um, this uh, whole idea at least occurred to me uh, with this uh, notion of the incarnation. And I've got some uh, things on your hand out there. The idea of this is now what? Um, now what? I mean, you know, uh, Jesus has come. He's here. Uh, is this just now, um, you know, we're just going to wait till Easter. And uh, we're just going to wait till that happens. And then we'll wait till Pentecost. And that's what it's all about, these big events. Or is there something else undergirding all of this? Is there, is there some other uh, understanding of this that we might want to think about having? So we've talked about that a bit. And I have on your outline there, I believe, I have the texts of the incarnation. And uh, you, you, you can use that. And then we have the truth of the incarnation. And then uh, we've been working on the thrust of the incarnation. What, what, what is the kind of thrust of the incarnation? I think I've got all that there. Uh, but now what? So as you work through this here, it's the text, it's the truth, it's the, now the, um, the thrust of the incarnation. But now what? Now what? Uh, wh what is the thrust or the purpose or the meaning or the uh, reality of this uh, matter called the incarnation? Uh, now what? Makes me think of something, uh, just to tell you here, uh, now what, how we think. Um, oh, a couple Sundays ago, uh, Becky and I were out at our regular hangout Earl's having lunch. And uh, we were trying to get home a little bit earlier later because uh, the Dallas Cowboys would be playing their last game. Uh, I mean, we knew that ahead of time, right? Because it was a playoff game. It was a playoff game. <clears throat> so I go, okay, this is it. You know, this is the last one. And <clears throat> so uh, we decide, you know, we've got to watch the game. And uh, so anyway, uh, we're, we're standing there. And um, I uh, noticed uh, when I looked there, I thought, paying for lunch, I thought, I thought I had a $50 bill. Now, I'm not Diamond Jim, but I thought, you know, I had a, thought I had a $50 bill. So I paid for lunch and sat down and said to Becky, I said, I think I'm missing a $50 bill. She goes, oh, no. She goes, you know, you, uh, you paid for lunch yesterday. And I, I know, but I think I used a credit card. In fact, I know I did. And she said, well, you did that? I said, no, I, 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 I know I didn't do that. I, I, I know I didn't pay for that. So anyway, we went home, and, and uh, I got ready for the crushing defeat that we would have um, and prepared myself. And we ate, and then I was trying to get ready for classes the next day. So the next morning, I got to class and taught classes and sat down at my desk and thought, where is that thing? Where is that? I'm not used to losing money, you know? And um, so I'm sitting there and thinking about it, and I thought, uh-oh. And I thought about it for a second, and I thought, you know what? Before the game, Becky sent me to Sonic to buy ice. And whenever they brought the ice out to me, these are new glasses, I looked down. I'm blaming it on the glasses. I looked down, had a five, and pulled it, and handed the little girl and said, here. And she said, keep the change? And I went, sure. It was $2.70 for the ice. <clears throat> and I even commented to Becky when I got back home because I thought I gave her a five. I said, that little girl was so happy. <laughs> I did. I said to her, 
I said to her, I said, that girl's so happy. She, you know, I thought, I, I, and I said to Becky, people are cheap, you know it? <laughs> so now I'm in my office and now I'm going, now what? <laughs> Do I tell Becky this? Because she's made all these excuses for me. No, I think you bought lunch. No, I thought you paid for this. And I'm thinking, I'd like to keep this aura of being financially responsible <clears throat> in our family. So I'm sitting there, I'm just thinking, now what? So I did this, I did the brave thing. I called her up and said, dear, I'd like to talk to you about something that I don't have to look you in the eye about. <laughs> I did, I actually said, boy, it got quiet. Like, what? And I told her. But I thought, you know what? Things happen, we do things. Now what? Now what? Now, what do we do? What do we do? I, I want to say again that this whole understanding of the incarnation, we've celebrated all that and all that, but I'm telling you, the coming of Jesus requires us to ask the question, now what? Now what? And so we looked at this in some detail. Uh, I have this right. The thrust of the incarnation, I'm not gonna, you can listen to this. I just want to have it in your outline so we get through this. That the thrust of the incarnation, this is the desire of deity. Colossians 2 it said it pleased God that all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. This is something God wanted to do. Don't ever get the notion that God is some kind of chintzy, cheap, uh, wanting us to have to come to him. It was his desire that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form there in Colossians 1.18. And so we need to think about this, that now what? This all occurred uh, because of the desire uh, of the deity. And then the second thing we looked at was this. Uh, not that. We looked at something else. Uh, it, it, this, the, the second matter is this dealing with disturbance. That the, the incarnation is not only the desire of God who is seeking. Um, in fact, I'd say I, I probably should have this picture. But one of the things I do with students uh, at the university is about their view of God. Is this God really desirous of this? You know, in the Sistine Chapel, there's that beautiful picture that Michelangelo or Michelangelo or Texas would call him Mac. And uh, <clears throat> the beautiful picture of the creation of Adam. And uh, I've cropped that picture down because there's the two hands, you know, going this way. And one of them is like this. And the other one is straining. And so I, I, I don't let students see the whole picture. I say to them, tell me who's who in this picture. You'll tell me a lot about your view of God. Is God like this? Is that his hand? Is that the hand of God in that? No, I mean, you know, that you've, you know, I've not been there, but I've seen pictures, <laughs> right? <laughs> Becky's been there. Is that, is, that, is that God? Or is this one? When, when you look at Michelangelo's work, the strain in that arm, to reach, the strain, the muscles, the tautness of the muscle. I mean, it, you can feel the pressure and strain. And I say to students, which one is God? And then they'll tell me all I need to know about, do you believe this God really desires to save you? Or is he available if you can get there? You ought to go look at that. You ought to go look at that picture. And in your own heart, your own life to say, which one of these is God to me? Which one in my real reality of my heart and soul? Who would I guess is God? Years ago, I would have guessed this. That's who I would have guessed. I would have guessed this is God. Well, you know, Cliff, it's available to you if you'd like it. You know, salvation in life. It's available, but you're going to have to want it pretty bad. Instead of this reaching. So 
it's the desire. Now, the problem is that because the, the, the incarnation has to deal with a disturbance. What's that disturbance? Well, one is a, a relational disturbance. Now, this again, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but this is again what we talked about last week. The language in the New Testament about reconciliation. A lot of times we talk about the incarnation or the work of Jesus. We just talk about forgiveness and, and taking away our sin. But there's a huge understanding of Scripture that what the work of Jesus did in the incarnation was not just to forgive us our sins and take away our debt. We're going to get to that. But to reconcile us to God. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 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 5.14 That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their sins against them. Therefore, Paul says, we urge you, be reconciled. To God. We said last week, which way is the reconciliation coming from God? He's not, we're not having to get him reconciled to us. He's trying to get us reconciled to him. God was in Christ reconciled to himself. There's no hesitation here on God. But I don't hear this a lot. I hear a lot about forgiveness. I hear a lot about debt uh, dealing with. I hear about not going to hell. I don't hear about, but this whole nature of the incarnation is to reconcile us to this loving, searching, stretching God. So it's a relational disturbance. I, I said, I've said before, and, I, and it's kind of this, that with my students and others, and my own life I think has been, that my view of salvation at times has been transactional. Pray the prayer sign, the card you're in. With no relationship. No real sense of relationship. Like now we're reconciled. Now we're friends. Now we talk together. Now, now we discuss things. Now I'm interested in what... My friend has to say about this. It's too transactional. It's just pray the prayer, sign the card, get dunked. And I believe that's a crude way to say it, but I do, you know, baptism is important. But if that doesn't bring about some kind of reconciliation, to me it stops short. It's just a transaction. Or am I actually reconciled in relationship to this God? So I, I think that's important. And if you want to, you can listen to it um, on the podcast. We, uh, we did that. Uh, so let me get my notes here. Yeah. So then we have this uh, understanding of it's my judgment. Here it is. Dealing with disturbance. I already said that. My computer's acting up. Here we go. Debt disturbance. There was relational disturbance that began the thing. Or we understand. It's debt disturbance. Now, um, this is, a, this is a, a pretty common idea throughout the Bible that in some way or another that human beings, because of their rebellion and because of their refusal to be reconciled to God, because of their refusal to live in relationship with God, there is in, in some sense a debt that has to be dealt with. And I want to try to work through that. This is thorny uh, territory here. But there's some kind of debt or some kind of payment or some kind of matter here. And that's pretty commonly understood in Christian circles. Uh, <clears throat> however, it's interesting as you work with people, there's some people that have a high sense or awareness of debt, like they are indebted to God. And it seems like there are others that it just doesn't face them. There is a sense in which, what do you mean I'm in debt to God? Come on. You know, we're just human beings. It, there is some sense in which we, we, we need to understand. I said to you last week this idea about payment, about debt. Remember, um, 
Well, let me say, say it this way. I mean, again, there are people that don't have any sense of that. I, when I thought of that, I thought of this. I'm not real uh, good with this thing, so I have to change and close and just talk among yourselves, if you will, there for a second. I, doo, 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 doo. This is the national debt clock, and it's running. See over there on the left? It's only $21 trillion right now. Uh, how many of us have any decisions or sense that this is going on? I don't. You know, I may watch the news every once in a while. I don't have any awareness that this is really going on. It doesn't affect me at this point, <laughs> you know. And so I go through my life like you do, and I may hear a number, and, uh, you know, I may, may know that they say, well, this is happening. And I don't realize that I'm one of these uh, people here. They're for every boy, child, girl, kid, children, little, whatever, they owe $66,875. And then for every taxpayer, uh, they owe $179,465. Did you know you owed that? Yeah. It's debt. Now, again... Not many of us live with this as a kind of a common idea. Listen, I'm just telling you, there are people, and, you know, for whatever reason, that don't live with a sense of debt to God. You know, they, they think they're fairly okay. Yeah, Walt. Paul said, I am debtor. I'm a debtor, that's right. Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men to preach the gospel. Yeah. So, so I'm just saying to you, uh, maybe you have a sense of debt. Maybe you don't. Uh, the question is, does that change anything if you don't have a sense of debt to God? Again, this is this desiring God, this loving God, this one that's reaching out, but he's trying to take care of something. We're going we're gonna to look at this. I don't want to depress you too bad, but um, that's what came to my mind, and you have to... That's what came to my mind, and you have to deal with my mind whether you like it or not. <clears throat> whether you like it or not, okay? So this, this idea of the disturbance that the incarnation is attempting to deal with is debt. Now, let me remind you. Here, here's a couple of passages. I, we're going to get the Bible, I promise. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to remind you of these again. Mark 2.1, Matthew 9, Luke 5. Mark 2, Matthew 9, Luke 5. These all are references to the fact that before Jesus died on the cross... He forgave people. This is the story of the man that was let down through the roof. I just, I got to tell you that because we've got to think about this, about what's this debt, what is Jesus doing? Is God somehow restricted from forgiving until the cross? Is, Jesus, is God somehow bound up by some law that won't let him forgive? Can't be. Because Jesus forgave he said to this man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees freak out. And he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins upon the earth. Get up and walk. So you may know what? That the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins upon the earth? Now, now that, that's, that, that may trouble us a little bit because the incarnation has somehow been restricted to Jesus' birth and death. But, but we need to think about, again, as I've said before, that the incarnation is from birth, death, to resurrection. Jesus is waging war in the earth. 
He called his thing the kingdom of God. We've called it the governance of God. When Jesus came, he began to wage war against the powers and principalities of the air. When Jesus came, he began to wage war against principalities and powers. He began to wage war against sin and death and judgment. It wasn't just the cross. Now, now I want to say this. I've got this on your handout, I believe. Oh, I hope it's on here. Oh, good. These matters that we're talking about here about forgiveness before the cross do not make the cross unnecessary. These matters do make the understanding of the cross incomplete. Can Jesus forgive before the cross? He did. So it may be that our understanding of this debt, this idea, is incomplete. Not unnecessary. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to think the understanding of the cross is unnecessary. But that it is, in fact, incomplete. There's some other things going on here as Jesus wages war against the principalities and powers of the air. As Jesus comes to show forth another kingdom, when he announced it, the kingdom of heaven is here. The governance of God is here. So what's the debt? I want to work through this just for a bit. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a pretty common idea. I would say one thing that's interesting to me, the word that is, we're, we're talking about here in, in this debt is atonement. Atonement. But it's interesting, when you take that word and look at it, if we had markers, $20 million budget, no markers. <laughs> Sheesh. Teachers are always the last ones to get either, right? Atonement. What we're discussing here about this debt, about reconciliation, is this. What does that say? At one minute. Atonement is the idea. How do we get this relationship squared away? At one minute. Atonement is not just some idea of some God who's exacting the pound of flesh out of Jesus. Atonement is the idea that God is doing something in Jesus Christ in his birth, in his life, and in his resurrection in order to bring human beings back to some original place. Well, look at that. Jesus gave his life, no question about that, gave his life for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3, 1 Corinthians 15.3. Jesus died for our sins. We're going to come back to this idea. Why though? Jesus died for our sins. This is pretty common stuff. Look here. Just open your Bibles. We got to, I want to look here. I always tell Becky I get afraid when I don't spend time in the Bible. When I'm just talking here. Trying, but I'm and giving you too much. My Bible, it's a 1085, the page number. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Just says this in a. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He died for our sins. For our sins. Then, I know this is going to be a little fast here. Galatians chapter 2.20. He died for our sins. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This idea, He gave Himself for our sins. This, this understanding here is what we call substitutionary at one Substitutionary at one What did Jesus do? He died for our sins in our place. Okay? He paid the price. He died for our sins. It's called substitutionary. He took our place at one How does this thing get put back together? How is there atoning or this matter, if you will, in paying our debt? Well, let me suggest to you a couple of things. Uh, and, and I'm just, um, okay. Let, let's look here just uh, uh, at this matter of Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to spend some time here. First, if you're in 1 Corinthians, go right. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to spend some time here. This is the idea of this atonement. Now what? This, this uh, incarnation bringing this disturbance of relationship and disturbance of debt. Disturbance of debt. Here I want to start reading in chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions. Now, dead here, again, always remember words mean something. I was thinking, I saw on a, on a website the other day uh, that there was a wreck down on 122nd and MacArthur. And uh, somebody wrote, wrote in there, they said, you know, I want everybody to know that because they said the, the traffic was being converted. <laughs> what? I was happy about that. Hallelujah, revival's coming. <laughs> yeah, the tra traffic's being converted. Amen. There's somebody down there preaching. Now, she, this person meant the word. Diverted, okay? That's okay. Uh, uh, words have meaning and should be used in their proper context. When he says you were dead. Now, listen, think about this for a second. Death never suggests uh, cease to exist anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Death means separation from the source of life. That's why the Bible says when the prodigal son comes back, after he'd been to the far country, a guy was arguing with me one time about it, and he was saying this stuff and that stuff, and, that, and he said, well, you know, he was still his son. I said, I know, but look at what that father said. This son of mine who was dead has come back. What does that mean? Separated. Separated from the source of his family. When the Bible talks about us being dead, it means we're separated from the source of life. It doesn't mean we don't cease to exist. It doesn't mean we are obliterated. It doesn't mean we vaporize. It means we are separate. Why? Because the, the, the book of Revelation calls hell the second death. The second death. Why? The first death is to be separated from the life of God now. The second death is to be separated from the life of God forever. So, so, so when you read the word dead, it's not like you're, somebody's laying on the floor and they drew the chalk around them. You know, that's, that's not what it is. You were dead in that you were separated from the source of life, which is God. So you were dead in your trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning your flesh was given full ride to this. 
And he himself made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us that was hostile against us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Now we're coming to this. I just want you to read that this is not part of this section, but this is what's great. When, verse, look at verse 15, when he disarmed, that means to strip away, the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is waging war, folks. This is not just some religious idea. Jesus is waging war against the powers of the world. He's come to bring in a kingdom to say, you can get in this if you want to, but it's my kingdom, my rule, my way. So, so Paul is saying here that, that the New Testament says, in fact, that, that, that Jesus paid for our trespasses. The Greek word here, if you will, in this matter, when he said you were dead in your transgressions, it's an important word. It's kind of like being converted or diverted. <laughs> Transgression is not the normal, typical term. There's the, the word for sin in the New Testament is, uh, is uh, harmartia, which means to miss the mark. You, you might even be trying to hit the mark, but you're still missing it. You know, we, we can talk about that later, about what the mark is. But you might still be trying, but you're missing it. So harmartia means to miss the mark. This word means... There's a line drawn here, and you know it, and you step across it. It's, it's like some guys go hunting, you know, it says, posted, keep out. If you go in there and the game warden catches you, you're going to jail. Why? You knew it. You saw it. You stepped across it. You know, I felt like the little boy one time, my dad told me to sit down, and I said, no. He said, I said, sit down. I said, no. He said, Cliff, sit down. No. So he put his arms on my hands, on my shoulder, set me down. And I said, well, on the outside I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm standing up. <laughs> so deal with that. That, yeah, yeah. That is transgression. <laughs> okay? Yeah, that's dangerous. I told you my mom has white hair. Somebody asked her one time, Where'd you get that beautiful? How, what color do you go? That's all natural. And they said, well, how'd you get that? I'm not kidding you. My mother, standing right by me, went. That's how she got it, right here. Hey, if you can't be in, well, stop it. Uh, back to the Bible. <laughs> so he, we were, he, when we were dead, what did he do? He made us alive together, forgiving us. Forgiving. See, I've got to work with this carefully or I'm going to get in crazy territory here. Forgive means to aphia me. It's the, it's the, see, the, the Greek word for sin, hamartia, means to miss the mark with an arrow. Aphia me means you let go of the arrow. Forgiveness means let go. Let it go. It's the same word group. Hamartia, to miss the mark. Uh, forgiveness, aphia me, is to let it go. Don't demand anything. Don't require anything. Let it go. He, he says, Jesus did this. Why? Because he, he canceled out the certificate of debt. We're going to work through this. Consisting of degrees. Now watch this. This certificate. Uh, Paul using some um, interesting language, some business kind of stuff. That the word certificate here is a handwritten document. And it's often considered to be an IOU. 
All of us had an IOU. And Paul says, Jesus, by his life, birth, and death, canceled. How? Because his very life, he fulfilled the law. See, don't, don't just think about the crucifixion yet. He, he knowledges he fulfilled the law. He lived perfectly before God, his father. And so he canceled it out. This certificate, it's a handwritten document, often considered an IOU to indicate debt. Notice it, he canceled it. What did he cancel? He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against it. Now, some would suggest this is the law, the certificate. Now, it said, this certificate, and he said he canceled it out. The word here means to smear out, wipe away. Um, in the book of Revelation, it uses a similar term when it says, if you don't continue to abide, I will blot you out of the book of life. It's smeared out. The, the, the imagery here is this. In the ancient world, ink did not have acid in it. I don't know how they made it, but it didn't have acid. And so whenever you wrote on vellum or you wrote on parchment, it never kind of grabbed the, the, the surface. So you could always easily wipe it off with a sponge like that. That's what that's why we find... When we find uh, documents sometimes in the ancient world, biblical documents, there are two or three layers of, of writing that we can work through. So he canceled it. And then what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. Here again is another ancient practice. That in the ancient world, when a law or an ordinance was canceled, like we used to have this law, we used to have this ordinance, we're going to cancel it. In the ancient world, Someone would take that document, fasten it to a board or something, and then drive a nail through it. I, I can't help but think that Paul is saying here, look, he canceled the certificate of debt that we had that was against us, consisting of decrees against us. Why? Because we'd broken them all. How did he do it? He smeared it out, and he nailed it to the cross. Can you get the imagery here? The, the document isn't nailed. The Savior's nailed. The Savior is nailed to the cross to say, it's over. It's done. It's canceled. When humans chose not God and to place themselves in death, they became, if you will, in this way, a debtor to what? Now, this you may feel like I'm going off the rails here. But if Jesus can forgive sin before the cross, and he can, and he takes our place on the cross, substitutionary atonement to bring us back together, what's the debt? Separation, Separation from God. You know what we call that? Death. See, God told Adam in Genesis 2, 15 and 17, what's going to happen to you when you eat this? Huh? You're going to die. See, this is where the church fathers in the first four centuries said that what Jesus is doing is he's coming here to kill death. The debt that we owe is our own death. And not to be resurrected, but to die forever. 
to disintegrate. Athanasius made this statement that it was that we would die and die forever. Why? Think about this now. And I'm not saying, you know, don't say what I'm not saying or saying what I am saying. Sound like Richard Nixon up here. I know you think you heard what you thought I said, but I don't think you heard what I actually said. Y'all are, y'all are old people to remember him, aren't you? Yeah, yeah these other people, are, who's that? Uh, anyway. Sin, in my judgment, if I'm looking at this right, is what we do. And when we do it, because it's a rebellion against the source of life, what we get is death. Remember, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I mean, separation from God the second time. This is bigger. This is bigger than just lying and stealing. And, those are all bad things. But see, those are all acts that produce what? Death. The problem is death. Sin is a problem, but it's the consequence of sin that Jesus is trying to unravel and undo and deal with to bring life to us. So what is the debt? It's not just some cosmic payment that has to be made that makes God now desirous to forgive us. He's already proved that. He wants to forgive. It's not some cancellation that he has to do to pay off the devil. I mean, there's some crude ideas here that have been in theological circles for a long time. But God sends Jesus to deal with our debt because our debt is death. Our debt is death. I, I think, you know, uh, somebody said my Bible study, I won't name it because they might be embarrassed, but we're talking one time, this was in public, um, talking one time about people sinning. You know, we don't like those people. Except when it's us. <laughs> right? Oh, sinners. They're just, you know, we were talking about people sinning and dealing with that and talking about, you know, we'd hope that people would not do that. And <clears throat> the discussion was going around the table and one of the guys said this, which I told him sometime ago, I said, this is one of those profound statements I've ever heard. I mean, I just stopped and I thought, Okay, I'm not going to act like that was good because then I don't appear to be the smartest person in the room. So, you know, I'm the teacher. Got to be cool. Got to be cool. Said, said this. He said to this one guy who was getting kind of upset that people were sinning and doing things. And he just said, hey, you know what? I think your problem is you think people are getting away with something. Listen to that. I think sometimes we get so down on sinners, sometimes we're a little jealous of them. We think they're getting away with something. So instead of having compassion on them because of what they're doing, we just think it's a behavioral issue. You ought to stop that, you knucklehead. Instead of saying, you're not getting away with anything here. You're getting into death. You want that? You don't want that. That's one of the most profound ideas, and I hate to say it, Stuart Graham said it. It just kills me that he did. He's a commercial real estate, real estate guy. Those guys can't be biblical. <laughs> Think about it. 
What's the debt? What's the problem? Death. Separation from the source of power. The source of life. And so Jesus comes to take on this incarnate body. He experiences life, he experience, or birth and life. He experiences death and overcomes it. What's so different here about this is this. And I, I don't think I have this on there. I probably should have. Don't have it. I, oh, I do. Fool myself. <clears throat> oh, that's on your outline, isn't it? Ooh. Watch this. What's so different here from prevailing religious rites is that in other religious rites, sacrifices are offered to try to change a God's attitude from wrath to friendship. That's paganism right there, guys. Right there. You don't have to change God's attitude towards you. That's pagan. N.T. Wright said that's the worst of paganism. Opposite here is God taking the initiative. The picture of a human being placating an angry deity is not characteristic of New Testament teaching. This comes from Arabius and St. Jerome quoted in Dr. Odin's great thing called Classic Christianity. You ought to read that book. You ought to get that book. Classic Christianity. How many of us, though, and I'm just going to throw myself under the bus on this one, and I've talked to many people who would think that Jesus is saving us from God. I hate to say that. But that's the tenor in which we picked up that Jesus is really saving me from God. No, he's saving you from death. He's come to take your death. And I'll get to that later where he strangles it and chokes it out. What debt is Jesus paying? What certificate? He's dealing with those sins that we committed, that we did. We know he can forgive those. But Jesus dies to destroy death. The wages of sin is death. You eat of this fruit and you're going to die. Starts in the very beginning of the Bible. This, this is why the church fathers in the first four centuries, they commented on that Christians went to martyrdom singing. You know why? They weren't afraid of death anymore. <laughs> they weren't scared of it. They weren't singing. They didn't think, oh man, I'm leaving my boat and I'm leaving, you know, my house. Man, I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus who destroyed death. Who has, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I can do this. I can do this. This is why in the book of Revelation, that's why in the book of Revelation, when John fall, when he falls down in front, man, I'm telling you, this is the most powerful thing. When John falls down in front and he says, don't be afraid. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm Alpha and Omega. I am he who is dead and now alive. And I have the keys to death and Hades in my hands right here. Don't be afraid. We've made this all morality. Quit drinking, dancing, smoking, cussing. Going to the girls who do. <laughs> when I was in high school, we tried to find those girls. <laughs> For ministry. <laughs> Lying in church. <laughs> we made it too small, guys. It's about lying and stealing and being ugly and cutting people off traffic. It's a big deal. Your debt was eternal death. Your sins caused it. My sins caused it. I was headed for life without life. <laughs> Forever. 
And Jesus came and nailed it to himself to take away the power of the evil one. This is big. This is war, by the way. St. Meek Little Jesus sitting around in a manger. This is war. He's declared war on death. Seriously, what I want to do. I told Becky, we're going to do one point today. She goes, good. I have two more. If anybody wants to stay, <laughs> lock the doors. No. Here we go. Here's what I could do. What if you took a piece of paper and wrote down that sin that either keeps recurring or that one you can't forget? Got one of those? Write out the commandment that this violates or violated. See, that's the certificate of debt that was hostile toward us. Write it down. Drive a nail through it and apply what Jesus has done for you. He's already dealt with this. It's the wonder of Christianity. It's a historical fact. You can't change it. You can only accept it. You can't change any of this. You don't have that authority or power. It's a historically accurate event. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to say, Jesus did it. Jesus paid it all. You know what? Remember the rest of the line? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Washed it white as snow. And in that, he killed death. I don't know about you, but this is making a lot of sense to me. And this is helping me to understand that the incarnation isn't just the birth and now we're going to the death. But in this midst of this, Jesus living his life. To save us from the debt we owe that is death. That's why he said, I've come. John 10, 10, write this down. I've come that you might have forgiveness. That's actually not what he said. What? I've come that you might have life. What? He never said it. He said, I've come that you might have like, what does that assume? Now, here's from East Texas. You don't got it. <laughs> if I've come to give you something, it's because you don't got it. And so Jesus comes to die so that he might offer us life. Not just forgiveness. Not just, I'm a nice moral person now, and I don't do the things. And it's okay. It's good to not be immoral. <laughs> but the engine, the power, the source of that is not just try harder. It's not just get disciplined. It's not just memorize more verses. It's have the source of life coursing through your body. That's why, you know, Jeff Van Vonderen in his great book, have you ever read it, called The Tired of Trying to Measure Up? Made this great statement. I'll end with this one. He said, Jesus did not come Back up. Back up, Cliff. Jesus did not come to give you life. Wait a minute, John 10. Jesus didn't come to give you life, like a commodity, like a transaction. Jesus didn't come to give you life. Jesus came to be your life. Jesus came to be your life. 
I tell my students, I say to them all the time, you know, your problem is not that you're bad. Your problem is not that you've done bad things. Your problem is you're dead. That's a bigger deal, isn't it? <laughs> you're bad. Oh, you cussed, you lied, you stole. Oh, that, that's, not, that's not a big deal. That's, what the big deal is, you're dead. You're separated from the source of life. Jesus said, I've come to give you my life. So Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith, trust, reliance in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've received his life. You're immortal. You've always been immortal in the sense that you live somewhere forever. But you'll never experience the second death. You'll have life abundantly. Well, there's two more. So another three weeks. <laughs> Let's pray. Well, Jesus, this uh, is pretty good news. That you took on death, choked it out. You paid our debt, which isn't just stealing and lying and cussing. But our debt was that we had inherited death. The wages of sin is death. And we don't make light of the fact that you've forgiven us of our sins. But it's bigger than that. So would you help us this week to nail up some things that continue to torment us? Not by our own strength, but by what you did on the cross when you disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public shame of them, nailing the certificate of death that was hostile to us uh, uh, to the cross. Maybe this afternoon, Lord, we need to hear a lot of hammering going on. A lot of nailing going on to help us to, we say this colloquialism, you know, Lord, to nail it down and help us in Jesus' strong name. Amen.